0: All right, here we are, folks, once again, uh, anchored. Uh, You know that we do preach these on Sunday mornings. Uh, We uh, do it on on, uh, Zoom. It doesn't come across too well on Zoom, so we want to do it again so that you get to see it in a a preaching uh, situation. Um, And we're at the Messianic Massa, M-A-S-S-A, and uh, I've used that word, and we'll get back to it in a little while of what we're looking at. Here we are, we're drawing to the end of the book of Zechariah. We have spent many, many weeks uh, on this. Uh, we've uh, spent over a year on this book, back and forth. And, and I, I just want you to know, as we draw to an end here in Zechariah, I have loved this study. I have fallen in love with this book. And uh, I know that my heart has grown in my love for Jesus Christ. My heart has grown in my love for God and all that He has done for us. So I want you to keep that in mind, that that's why we preach. We want you to love Him more. We also want you to take that love and do something with it. We want you to continue to grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior. But this title, this Messianic Mass, is a strange title. I know that it's a strange title. I made it up, so it is pretty strange. But where in the world did it come from? And I know that that's a good question, and we will get back to that, and we will answer that as quickly as we possibly can. The title, though, can open up all kinds of speculation. But for me, as as pastor, as shepherd, as as teacher, it has one purpose. That purpose is to put you in the shoes of a post-exilic Jew we want you to put yourself in the, those Jews who have re- returned from Babylon and now are coming back into the land of Israel. They're now in Jerusalem and the various environs around Jerusalem. But I want you to see it from their point of view. This is a prophecy. This particular chapter is a prophecy on the Messiah, on, on why he came, what he's going to do for them, and, and how he's going to do it. If you read to any extent about chapter 12, the Jewish scholars try to rebuff this chapter. They don't like this chapter. Those who have studied this chapter and have not become believers have all kinds of reasons that this cannot be about Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Because if they did acquiesce to the point that this is about Jesus Christ, the Messiah, they're in trouble. They have to acquiesce to the fact that they missed him 2,000 years ago. And so they don't want to do that, and so they even change uh, the text sometimes to be able to extend their particular point of view. Some have even gone to that point of changing the Hebrew, and, and, and while they don't want it to happen, it is going to happen because eventually every Jew is going to bow their knee and accept Jesus Christ and His deity and that He is God. The Jewish teachers have railed against this being about the Messiah. Their experts, their teachers, their scholars, when it comes to this, must change the language. They have to change the language to fit their perspective and to protect them from being changed. I'm sorry, to protect them from being charged with deicide. That's what they're afraid of being charged with. Deicide actually is the murder of God. And so they don't want to be charged with that. But let me not digress. This chapter here in Zechariah is is probably the most well-known of the chapters in Zechariah. It finds its way into the New Testament so very, very often. We're going to look at that as we go through this chapter and and point that out to you, but it finds its way into uh, into the New Testament. This chapter specifically is about the sovereignty and the glory of a great God and king. It's about his power. It's about his majesty. It's about his immense care and love for his people. And it's become very evident here in how much he loves Israel, how much he loves the Jewish people. And frankly, folks, we should as well. His incredible power is unmatched. And we can see that in this chapter. God's sovereignty can be rightly understood as an exhausted, uh, unexhausted sovereignty. He reigns in heaven and controls everything down to the minutest detail on earth. No matter what it is, whether it's the sun rising or it's a little child crying, He is purposeful in all that He does. Yahweh has a purposeful and a willful plan for all creation. Let me read you something that I happened to pick up out of the Westminster Confession of Faith. I don't normally do that, but I want you to hear what these confessioners wrote about our God. Quote, "...God, the great creator of all things, doth uphold, direct, dispose, and govern all creatures, actions, and things, from the greatest even to the least." by His most wise and holy providence, according to His infallible knowledge and the free and immutable counsel of His own will to the praise and glory of His wisdom, power, justice, goodness, and mercy. You know, I I read that and I step back and I go, whoa, He is an incredible God. I read this and I say, He is a God that there is nothing like Him. There is no one like Him. So today and next week, when we look at the second part of this chapter, I would like to explore this chapter to the point to point out the greatness of our king. I want to point out the power of the majesty on high. I want to point out the attention of our Lord upon his lowly servants. I want to point out his sovereign care of his followers And folks, I want to point you to three truths here, three truths of the sovereign love of God for His people Israel, and in a sense, folks, in His sovereign care for His people that He has engrafted at a later time, that's called us the Gentile, into His fold. So let's read Zechariah chapter 12 together. You can look at it, open up your Bibles Zechariah chapter 12, it says there, "...the burden of the Lord, of the word of the Lord concerning Israel. Thus declares the Lord who stretches out the heavens, lays the foundation of the earth, and forms the spirit of man within him. Behold, I am going to make Jerusalem a cup that causes reeling to all the peoples around. And when the siege is against Jerusalem, it will also be against Judah." It will come about in that day that I will make Jerusalem a heavy stone for all the peoples who will lift it. They will be severely injured, and all the nations of the earth will be gathered against it. In that day, declares the Lord, I will strike every horse with bewilderment and his rider with madness, but I will watch over the house of Judah while I strike every horse of the peoples with blindness." Then the clans of Judah will say in their hearts a strong support for us are the inhabitants of Jerusalem through the word, through the Lord of hosts, their God. In that day, I will make the clans of Judah like a, a fire pot amongst the pieces of wood and a flaming torch amongst the sheaves so that they will consume on the right and they will consume on the left the surrounding peoples, while the inhabitants of Jerusalem again dwell on their own sites in Jerusalem." And the Lord also will save the tents of Judah first, so that the glory of the house of David and the glory of the inhabitants of Jerusalem will be magnified above Judah. Verse 8, In that day the Lord will defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and the one who is feeble among them in that day will be like David, and the house of David will be like God, like the angel of the Lord before them. And in that day, I will set about to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and of supplication so that they will look on me whom they have pierced and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an, uh, an only son. And they will weep bitterly over him, like the bitter weeping over a firstborn. In that day, there will be a great mourning in Jerusalem, like the mourning of Hadadirim uh, in the plain of Megiddo. The land will mourn every family by itself, the family of the house of David by itself, and their wives by themselves the family of the house of Nathan by itself and their wives by themselves, the family of the house of Levi by itself and their wives by themselves and the family of the Shema by itself and their wives by themselves. All the families that remain, every family by itself and their wives by themselves. Every Jew is going to mourn that day. I I don't know about you, just hearing that um, gives me a sense of anticipation. Anticipation that God is coming soon and that I, I want to see him come soon because I'd love to see the Jewish nation get saved. Uh, in my life, I've had many, many crossings with Jewish people, and it's always been a delight. It's always been good for me. But let me give you the outline here. Okay, The first point that we're going to look at uh, today uh, is going to be our God reigns, He creates, that's verse 1. The second point that we're going to make today, the second truth, will be our God reigns, He conquers, verses 2 through 9. And then the third truth that we're going to see today is our God reigns, He cleanses. We see that, see that in verses 10 through 14. Friends, I we would all affirm that God is in charge. We would say that. We would say that even during this episode that we're going through, 2020. Somebody wrote the other day on on Facebook that whenever we have a bad day, we're going to call it 2020 from now on. Well, we've had a bad year, 2020. But I reminded that person, we're only halfway through it. We still have another half of this year to to go. Yes, even during this coronavirus uh, and all of the things that have been so different for us in our life, even though there's so much rioting going on and and looting going on and tearing down of statues and changing of so many things, God is still in charge and, and he's going to be in charge throughout our whole future. But I ask this question, what if there was an invasion of America right now in the middle of this whole thing and we were fighting in our streets for our property and for our life? What would we do? What is this invading force Took over the streets. What if they did take over these streets and, and declared that they were now in charge? Is God still in charge? Is He still fulfilling His plan? Is He still reigning on the throne of heaven? Friends, doesn't matter what happens, that would be His plan if it came forth. It, it hasn't changed whatsoever. Whatever the thing that happens, happens, that is exactly what he had planned. In the darkest day that you have ever experienced, he still reigns. You know, as, a, as a counselor, I, I, I have to say that quite often for somebody who's just had a tragedy in their life. God still is on the throne. He, he didn't step off and he, and he didn't take a break. He didn't take a five-minute break off of the throne when they were going through that issue. He was there in the midst of that issue. A sovereign Lord will still make His perfect plan come to fruition. That's what's most glorious about this. No matter what kind of issues we go through as an individual or as a society or as a church, He's still going to have His plan come through. Psalm 139 verse 12 says this, Even the darkness is not dark to you, and the night is as bright as the day darkness and light are alike to you our great god and savior does he sees in the dark you can't hide something from him he knows every thought that you have in your mind he knows every thing that you contemplate in your heart the christian should never fear as god is in control of the heavens and the earth and and he holds all of that in his hands. He takes care of that and, and meets out all of his desires as he so wishes. I, I love Proverbs 21.1. As I look around and and I see some people gripe about who's the president and people who have griped about the past president and the one before that, Proverbs 21.1 says this, the king's heart is like channels of water in the hands of the Lord. Do you ever put a little bit of water in your hand, you can direct that wherever you want. And it says here, the king's heart, that is the sovereign on the earth, the the president, the prime minister, whatever it is, is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. And, And yes, folks, that means dictators. That means tyrants. That means oppressors. He dictates it wherever he wants. God directs the heart of each and every ruler on this planet, including we had a little country called Chaz show up. He directs everybody there as well. We have an incredible God of grace and mercy. Last week... As you know, Donna is told that she needs to have a biopsy, and that was really a uh, bronchoscopy of her lung. And she's not really wanting to do that. I mean, when you think about it, they're, they're going to have to flush out her lung with all kinds of liquid to get uh, this procedure done. And, and then um, those were not really encouraging words. And, and so the fear meter goes up. You know, it starts to become a little bit tense. Wait a minute. I don't know if I want this to be done. Um, she wasn't sure about this my answer was not really very encouraging i want you to know i I failed there as i said to her oh don't worry about it i don't think anybody in the hospital wants you to drown so i'm not going to put too much in there that was really not encouraging that's not good for business if they start drowning people in the hospital but listen to this Wednesday afternoon, after she that, gets that news that this is going to have to be done, she gets a text from someone who has left Grace Community Church. They moved to another part of the uh, United States. Um, and they don't text very often, but this is what this particular woman writes to her. Are you out yet? My wife thinks, wait, how in the world does this person even know? How do they know I'm in the hospital? What, what, what are they asking here? So Donna texts her back to find out how she heard the question the lady was asking her was about coronavirus and are you out of your home yet is the question she was asking. She had no idea that Donna was in the hospital. So Donna explains that she's in the hospital. She's going to have this procedure. And the lady writes back, oh, I had that done two weeks ago. It's no big deal. What a blessing. You know, we, we don't even realize it, but that woman blessed my wife to, to know that, you know what, it, it's not going to hurt. It's not a bad thing. It's okay. I don't know about you, but I see God's timing in that. I, and obviously, you know, because of the coronavirus, we can't go to the hospital to see our loved ones. And so I'm at home and she's telling me this story and I'm getting excited in our house and I'm jumping all over it. Are you serious? Are you serious? God did that? For you to give you a little bit of a, uh, uh, something of comfort here through all of this? I hope you see that too, friends. That's what God does. See, folks, he loves us. And he cares for us. And he nurtures us. And yes, he does give us difficult things at times. Difficult things so that we can grow. But at the same time, he gives us these little oasis of, of grace here. That was a gift, a gift from God to put her heart at rest. She slept well that night, certainly not because of her husband, but certainly because of what God had put together. No big deal, this woman writes. God does these kinds of things over and over. Little things, big things, gifts here and there, affirming his love for us. God, the ruler of the universe, okay, and this is quite a universe, presents to us his grace and his mercy in the midst of trying times. The passage we are about to study, we will see a very, very personal God, a very loving Lord, get involved intimately with his people. But even though he loves folks, even though he cares for us, It does not mean that he overlooks sin. He still deals with sin. He still deals with rebellion. We know that from Hebrews chapter 12. It's quite clear. Our God loves us enough to punish us. It says, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. This is Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5 nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines and he scourges every son whom he receives. So it doesn't mean you just get a get get out of jail card free. You sometimes get a spanking. He loves us though. Ultimately, that's what he does is love us. Today, we're going to look at those three truths that I've already mentioned. The the, the greatness and the sovereignty of our God is going to be evident there. The first one that I want us to look at and and to really... uh, I'm going to bore down here, folks, not boring down. I'm going to bore down here. I want you to understand this particular verse sets the foundation for the whole chapter. And so we need to see that, that it sets the the foundation of the whole chapter. And, And the first truth that we're going to learn or hear or see is our God reigns, He creates. Verse 1 there, the burden of the Lord, the word of the Lord concerning Israel. Thus declares the Lord who stretches out the heavens, lays the foundation of the earth, and forms the spirit of man within Him. Now before we get too far into this text... I, I want to go back to the title, okay, just so you understand that. I want you to understand that this title does mean something, Messianic Massa. I used a Hebrew word here, I snuck it in. This uh, Massa here is a Hebrew word. We need to understand it. This is a display of God's greatness, and, and it says there, a, the, what is the Massa business? It is the burden. That word there, burden, means Massa. If we go back to when we were studying Zechariah chapter 9, we see that the first burden there was the destruction of Gentile world power. This is the second mass, which is the deliverance of the Jewish nation. But, but, and I need to answer this and I need to tell this, it's deliverance with pain. There's going to be pain, there's going to be hurt. Folks, this is the Hebrew word that means burden. It means oracle. It means woe. Um, This is the burden of the Lord concerning his children Israel. Frankly, Zechariah is telling the Jewish nation, this is a weighty. This is a difficult message. This is a burden that will be laid upon the people of Jerusalem in particular. But for the whole Jewish nation, it's, it's going to be for the particular, but for the whole Jewish nation, it's going to be for all of them. Yes, this is ultimately about deliverance, but it is not without heartache. There's going to be lots of heartache here, folks. You try to tell a Jewish person about this today, <clears throat> they can see the heartache and what it's going to cause. But Zechariah, who is going to tell the, the Jew and all those who read, this, God, read God's Word, what is going to happen in the future, but he also reminds them of this. And listen to this. He reminds them about the greatness of God, and that greatness can be seen in the past. That greatness can be seen in the past when he created the world. If you look at uh, Genesis 126, God said this, let us that 's the Trinity, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness now he didn 't make us godlike in any sense of the word, but he made us in his image re- image of relationship of of rationality of of knowing right and wrong, all of those kinds of things that 's how we 're made in His image of how to rule over the earth because he gave Adam the job of of naming all the animals and the plants and all of that kind of thing. The creative powers of the universe set aside man from the animals. We're nothing like the animals, although some seem to be acting like animals these days, but we're nothing like the animals or the plants. He doesn't make them in his image, but he does make us in his image. (laughs) Additionally, Zechariah is reminding them of their Beginning, by looking at creation, he wants to see where they came from. But he is also now going to look at the end of events of human history. God is the God of the beginning, and God is the God of the end of human history. He's the Alpha and the Omega, but he's also eternal. So back to our passage. Thus declares the Lord who stretches out the heavens, lays the foundation of the earth, and forms the Spirit of man within him. Let's start with that stretches out the heavens. Friends, as, as a matter of fact, and I'm not a, an astro, uh, astronomer or anything like that, but the experts say that the universe is still growing. It was created and it's still going out. He stretches out the heavens. That's what God has done. God is, is still stretching. He's not only created stars and asteroids and all kinds of things, black holes, galaxies, all of these kinds of things that he's got going on out there in the heavens. He fills up that space, but he also creates. He creates us. He creates us. Remember, he did that out of nothing. Why don't we turn to Romans 8, just to get a little bit of an idea of this stretching out of the heavens. Romans chapter 8, and what the creation is doing in these days. Romans 8, verse 18, it says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. The creation is waiting. The earth is waiting. The earth wants this, for well, the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly. The earth was also condemned in this whole thing when man and women fell. But because of him who subjected it in hope, that the creation itself would uh, also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Last verse there, verse 22. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. Basically, I think what he's explaining there is that we have a young earth. We have a young earth. And it's still groaning because of the fall. So he stretches out the heavens. He lays the foundation of the earth. He made this planet. He furnished it with all that we need, all that our existence ever has possible of wanting, and He sustains us. Psalm 104, verse 5 says this, He established the earth upon His foundations. And He does that, as the verse goes on, so that it will not totter forever and ever. He established the foundations. He gave it its form. And He forms the spirit of man within Him. Beloved, He he not only created the human but he set them apart from the animals. And that's something that we need to understand because as our society continues to devolve and act more like animals, okay, there is the difference between them and us because God has called us out of that. Genesis one twenty seven says this, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. There isn't another something in between, uh, 54 different trans, whatever is going on. No, he created them either male or female, period. That's how he created them. They were directly created by God. Frankly, if you want to know the truth, I, I look upon that creation as God doing the first wedding. He brought to Adam exactly the woman that Adam needed in Eve. And at that point, God was to have personal fellowship with them. He formed the spirit of the man. He he gave him his spirit and and he wanted to have that personal fellowship with him. He gave them a God-glorifying purpose. He personally formed them with the spirit. Isaiah 42.5 says this, Thus says God Yahweh, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and its offspring, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. We are not just physically beings, but we have a spirit or a soul within us that will live for eternity. It's going to go on forever and ever. That's the reasoning part of man. You know, when we go back to God created us in his image of relationship and, and rule over the earth and, and reasoning, that's what we have there is the reasoning element. He sets that upon us, not upon the animals. Listen to Ecclesiastes 12.7. Then the dust, that's the human body, will return to the earth as it was, and the spirit will return to God who gave it. That's death. When he gave us his spirit, that spirit, that soul, if you want to call it that, will go back to God. It will return to him. That's what he's going to judge for eternity. Let's go back to the text. These three phrases that I just used here, and let me repeat them for you so you understand that. Stretches out the heavens, lays the foundation of the earth, forms the spirit of man within him. These three phrases have what are actually present tense participles. And that means that it's an ongoing moment-by-moment personal activity by God for his creation. He does that continually since the creation for us. He's been involved with the creation since the beginning And he's been involved in the foundations of the earth since the beginning. And he's been involved in the spirit and soul of man. The bottom line is this. It means that God is still sustaining the universe. You see, if he walked away from it, like some people do believe, is is that he created and walked away. No, it's very vital that we understand that God is still intimately involved with all of it. Friends, when we understand God... (laughs) Understand that God created this. It makes us accountable then to a creator. I look around and see some of the things that have happened recently. They happen because those people don't believe in God. It happens because those people don't believe in a creator. They think they evolved and they think that they're still evolving into something better. I don't know about you, but I've looked at some of the news footage and I'm going, that's not evolving, that's devolving, that's getting worse becoming more animalistic than it is progressive. The world system of public education slams the very idea that we are were created. They have been selling a lie for decades and decades and decades. You got to listen to this little story. I remember going to college, college that I paid for, because my parents couldn't afford it. And I came back, I don't remember, first semester, second semester, third semester, I have no idea. Can't remember back that far. And I, I said to my mom, Dude, Mom, you know what? We were created from apes, you know? We, we just evolved from apes. And my mom, who just had a high school education, looked at me and said, why are you paying for an education that's just making you dumber? Why, is it? why are you taking something that's making you stupid? Now, my mom was not a Christian, but, but she knew that she was created human being by God. Why are you becoming more stupid? And, and of course, you know, I was a liberal Bill in those days without Christ. And um, I just believed whatever my professors were telling me. Well, guess what? That's gone on for the last five decades of young people being filled with that idea so they can go riot in the streets. Because God made this world, all who are in it are going to be accountable to him they will stand before him in judgment one day God created the universe and all that is in it the text of this scripture tells us the language that is used here tells us that he's in, intimately involved with his created um, beings today with his creation today Yahweh continues to uphold the universe why he does it for his glory He does it for his glory. Those who began this country way back in 1776 were called deists. They were deists because they believed in God, a a small g God. They believed that he created the world and that he walked away from it, that he stepped back, that he didn't want to have anything to do with it afterwards. He let them do whatever they wanted to do. That's completely wrong. He is involved thoroughly. And you can see it over and over and over again. Obviously, they don't believe in Revelation. They don't believe in the Bible. The reason I believe that Zechariah uses creation here to launch this chapter, this burden, this woe, this oracle for Israel, is to let them know that God is in control, even of the events that are about to happen, the events that are certainly going to kill many, 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 many people. If he can create, certainly he can deliver. If he can create, he certainly can deliver. God is in control. Zechariah wants to dispel any questioning as to the power of God. If God can create the universe, he can fulfill any of his God-ordained plans. Beloved, that is the first truth of God's enduring love and sovereign care for his chosen people. Our God reigns, He creates. The second facet or the second truth uh, for this compelling awesomeness of God is our God reigns, He conquers. And I'm going to read it, but we're actually not going to look at all of it. But I want you to to get the highlights that I'm going to give to it as I read. It will come about in that day that I will make Jerusalem a heavy stone. I'm sorry, I need to start in verse 2. Behold, I am going to make Jerusalem a cup that causes reeling to all the peoples around. And when the siege is against Jerusalem, it will also be against Judah. It will come about in that day that I will make Jerusalem a heavy stone. For all the peoples, all who lift it, will be severely injured. And all the nations of the earth will be gathered against it. In that day, declares the Lord. I will strike every horse with bewilderment and his riders with madness. But I will watch over the house of Judah while I strike every horse of the peoples with blindness. Then the clans of Judah will say in their hearts, "A strong support for us are the inhabitants of Jerusalem, though the Lord of through the Lord of hosts their God." In that day. I will make the clans of Judah like a fire pot among pieces of wood and a flaming torch among sheaves. So they will consume on the right hand and on the left and the surrounding peoples while the inhabitants of Jerusalem again dwell on their own sites in Jerusalem. Verse 7, The Lord said, the Lord also will save the tents of Judah first so that the glory of the house of David and the glory of the inhabitants of Jerusalem will not be magnified above Judah In that day, the Lord will defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the one who is feeble among them in that day will be like David and the house of David David will be like God, like the angel of the Lord before them. Verse 9, In that day, I will set about to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. I I highlighted something there and I, I think you can see what I was highlighting That section needs to be understood through that. And so before we even come to here and start to to teach about this, you need to see these things. Uh, In preparation for next time, I want you to think about this as you read through this chapter. There is these particular words here. I want you to look on those. And we see it first in verse 3. It will come about in that day that I will make Jerusalem a heavy stone. Jerusalem becomes immovable. Incredible. God does this in that day. Verse 4, in that day, declares the Lord, I will strike every horse. Now, for us, we're thinking, okay, so he strikes the horse. It doesn't mean very much, but in that day, back in Jerusalem... That was the most powerful instrument in war, in fighting and all of those kinds of things. And so striking those horses is going to make it difficult to defeat Israel. It's going to bring a blindness to the horses and a madness to the horses. You're not going to be able to fight. Verse 6, in that day, I will make the clans of of Judah like a, a fire pot. What in the world? By the way, this fire pot will overflow and consume their enemy, everything around them. And next week, we'll see how that works. And in verse 8, in that day, the Lord will defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem. God's going to protect his people. God is going to protect his people from all of the destruction that's going on there. Not every single one of them, but for the most part. Verse 9, in that day I will set about to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. All the nations are going to be done in because they came against Jerusalem, because they came against Israel, because they came against God's promised land. You know, people call that land holy. Folks, it's not holy right now, it will be holy once again when Jesus Christ returns. I I hope that you see the the personal glorious care that the Almighty takes with His children. In that day is the initiating of the kingdom of God on the earth. It is going to be a glorious day. And, And frankly, folks, it's going to be a frightening day. A frightening day. The death and the carnage in that day have never been experienced before. That day is going to be unusual. This is when an inconceivable, unimaginable conflagration will take place that no one could even imagine. Years ago, I had the privilege of being able to go down to Hiroshima. I was with our missionary, uh, Suji Kondo, up there in uh, Hamadera Bible Church in uh, Osaka. And uh, this is, I think, the first time, maybe the second time I was there. And he said to me, hey, would you like to go down to Hiroshima? I said, sure would. I'd love to go down there. I'd love to see what it's like. And and we got ourselves on a bullet train. And I got to tell you, a bullet train goes pretty fast. And we get down there. Donna was with me. And we go in the museum, of which she had to leave because of the pictures that you would see there. This is a city that was absolutely, totally devastated, wiped out completely the pictures were of the atomic bomb that was set on that city, leveled the city. It was horrific. And the destruction and the conflagration that was there, the carnage is going to be like that in Jerusalem to some degree. And it's going to involve many nations. You see, the atomic bomb only involved one nation, The bomb was set off, I think it was 60 or 90 feet above the city, just right there at the river. And and they show you exactly about where it could be. and, And I'm going, wow. And it set this whole place leveled it completely. But here in Jerusalem, they're going to surround the city and they will be unable to take it because of God. The ultimate and glorious victory is the Lord's. It's not even the people of Jerusalem and Judah and and all of those kinds of things. We understand that He uses us instruments in that way. But it's going to be His victory in that day. James Boyce said this, the repeated on that day, which I wanted to point out to you, and and you can take your pencil and and circle that or underline that in your Bibles, because we're going to be looking at it again next week, they repeated on that day. Okay, this is what Boyce had to say. The repeated on that day is seen quite naturally to refer to that last and great day of the Lord's return and judgment. Folks, we're in the midst of the end times. This is it. This is what is going to happen. This day will be a display of his power and his might. This day demonstrates His majesty, this will be a day of vindication, retribution. We've only really truly looked at the first truth. And I want to remind you of these glorious sovereign truths for you. and Make sure that you have your attention on that. Our God reigns, He creates. Our God reigns, He conquers. Verses 2 through 9, and then our God reigns, He cleanses. I want to close in a word of prayer, but again, as I like to do is to remind you we are in difficult days we do have life-shattering situations that happen we have difficulties because of the economy and because of the situations that are going on around us but this i want to encourage you folks our god reigns he has not stepped off the throne and all that is happening is at his hand And so, what is he doing? Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Lord, thank you for this scripture. May our heart continue to embrace the idea that you are in control. Good things, bad things, mediocre things. Blessings, no blessings, whatever it would be. Lord God, I pray for this church. Remain strong here in this valley. I pray that one day, that soon, we will all be back together. That things will be like they were, but because of what has happened, our fellowship is even stronger because of Jesus Christ, in whose name I pray. Amen.